0: So for our first foray into focusing on an actor specifically, as opposed to a theme or a director, I figured we should start with Clint Eastwood, because uh, he's, an, he's an accessible guy, and in a weird way, he he's not really who I think of when I think of the 60s, but he was actually really defined in the 60s, wouldn't you say? This is when...
1: To, to a certain degree, I think his man with no name character from the Sergio Leone movies is uh, as recognizable a, a 60s character as James Bond, in a way.
0: That's, well, that's an interesting statement because I, you're 100% correct, but I don't think of them in the same world. Maybe it's just me. Like, I do. When I think of Clint Eastwood, I think of the man with no name 100%. And those movies are 100% from the 60s. But it's funny because like James Bond is so campy. I mean, it isn't it isn't. It can be. And then this these movies feel so modern to me. They feel so real. So it's kind of interesting to to think of them happening at the same time.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe part of it is that they're period pieces, they're Western, so they don't they don't have all the sixties trappings that the, the Connery Bonds do. And I don't know, I mean there's the I think the Sergio Leone has such a recognizable style that it's sort of timeless in a way. I, but I do see what you're saying. He's, uh, it's not as, uh, you know, if you're looking for a for a good 60s movies, you don't think Man With No Name.
0: Yeah, it's not the cliche of the 60s, except it is definitely the cliche of Clint Eastwood. And I think that actually of all the movies, so we sat down and we watched every single movie that Clint Eastwood put out during the 60s. hmm which, well,
1: almost every you skip paint your wagon.
0: All right. Yeah, I did. I skip paint your wagon. And we we'll, we will get to why I skip okay. paint your wagon, God. <laughs> well, that's
1: the last I one know. on our list. So, so so hold hold tight. It is. So, uh well, actually maybe before before we talk about a fistful of dollars, maybe we should uh just mention how uh Clint rose to fame on the show Rawhide. He was he did that for sp- i don't know six or seven or eight years or something so every american knew clint eastwood is as, as rowdy yates from from rawhide i mean i I've, I've just seen pieces here and there but he's he's just sort of a, a nice you know maybe a little hot-headed but but a but a but a pleasant cow puncher <laughs> drover whatever <laughs> yeah you know. he's your typical white hat yeah yeah he's the he's kind of the second in command there and, uh, he's just, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a good guy all the way, but, uh, fistful of dollars.
0: Per un pugno di dollari.
1: He agreed to, to take on this role because he wanted to sort of break away from his, uh, his white hat reputation a bit. He wanted to be kind of an anti-hero. I don't know where I'm getting that information. Probably just the Wikipedia page, but, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> he, uh. He's a very he's a very different kind of Western hero in Fistful of Dollars than he is in uh, in in Rawhide. He's he's a gunslinger, and uh, basically the only rule there is to you not be a bad guy when you're a gunslinger is uh, if somebody draws on you, you can shoot them. And uh, and Clint does a lot of that in this movie.
0: Yeah, it's funny because he definitely this was something that he chose as this definitely a breakout role of you know something different. Um, I will say about this movie that it has my favorite quote about Clint Eastwood. Sergio Leone says that he chose Clint Eastwood because he was looking for basically just a, an actor who could just be a mask. <laughs> yeah. And he says, that I, I like Clint Eastwood because he only had two facial expressions, hat on and hat off.
1: <laughs> that's pretty good. Although I think that's... It's,
0: and it pissed <laughs> off Clint Eastwood. I think he, he never had very fun memories of Sergio Leone after that
1: that's he, he's not giving him enough credit I mean he's he doesn't have a huge range as an actor but I don't know, in a fistful of dollars he uh, he actually gets a bit more range than he does in some of the you know the, the the second two movies in the trilogy I think
0: so watching all of these in a row again so actually let me just say that Clint Eastwood has a special place in my heart probably should have said this earlier <laughs> Clint Eastwood has a special place in my heart because uh, he, was, he became my spirit animal for a time when I a New Yorker decided to go move to the west and I was like I need a theme for this new life I'm starting in San Francisco the wild west of San Francisco and I decided like Clint Eastwood was just perfect and I bought a big poster of uh, for a fistful of dollars actually the, um italian printed a painted poster mm-hmm. uh not an original it was a reprint but i bought that that was like one of the only things i had in my room in this little shoebox of a room and i i started to uh watch a bazillion clint eastwood movies when i was out there part it was funny clint eastwood and like robert de niro like the <laughs> The world I was caught in between was like, well, uh, you know, the Western guy that's shooting people or the New Yorker that's shooting people. But um, yeah, I, I started to watch all of these then and I got I don't know why, but it really just sort of fascinated me. It really captivated, I guess, maybe in part this sort of idea of doing it by yourself. It was sort of empowering. Mm-hmm. I was even Clint Eastwood for Halloween that year. I made a whole outfit out of cardboard I made a cardboard hat and a cardboard gun and actually I made a cardboard paint brush so I could paint your wagon. And Did you have a uh, poncho? I wore, like, a poncho that okay. I actually is like like a Scottish like wool thing that I already own. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was a great time. So, Clint Eastwood <laughs> uh, you know,
1: he does he, I, he embodies I, the uh, American ethos. That's for sure. The 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 loner, the that sort of the, you know, that libertarian idea of you how you're you're only in it for yourself,
0: so one hundred percent, but also now re-watching these movies, interestingly, I kind of thought that it starts off way more like egalitarian and way less libertarian. But as the movies go on, the character, the man with no name, becomes more and more selfish, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting. And I sort of wondered if maybe Sergio Leone maybe even started off with something with sort of more communist leanings in mind. Because basically, in A Fistful of Dollars, right, you have this man with no name who enters this village. He finds out, you know, there's a power struggle between the one, these uh, Rojo brothers that, uh... God, I forget what they sell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do they sell? I, I, I thought they were smugglers, right? Don't they smuggle?
0: That's right. The Rojo brothers are People smugglers, think. and then the sheriff is another smuggler, right? Or is he selling liquor?
1: I, I mean, they're they they both are powerful families that have made their money doing illicit things. I, I, I'm not sure it gets too specific about all the all of the the mayhem that they get up to.
0: Yeah, and so then he walks in, he sees this sort of town that has been crushed under the weight of these two corrupt families, and. He sees the, the guy, the innkeeper at the at the bar that, you know, tells him about all this, that tells him the whole town's been desolate and that he can make a bunch of money, but he'll also probably die. He sees these families that have been ripped apart, and he takes it upon himself to fix it, basically. And then, you know, he comes in, he shoots everybody. He does make a profit for himself, but he also frees up the entire town now to make a profit. And he, in, in, in effect, you know, breaks down the 1%, and spreads the wealth out to everybody else and that's kind of interesting to me well who is there's no reason for him to do it other than the fact that he's a nice guy
1: but who is everybody else hasn't everybody in the town died by the end of the movie except for the the coffin maker and the innkeeper who's who's
0: i mean but that's some people there's that family that he he frees the wife
1: right well, that's sort of the the uh, the first thing that intrigues him about this town, right? He sees this uh, this little boy who can't see his mother, and he's he wants to he wants to do something about it, right? Or at least he's curious to know why uh, why that's happening.
0: Yeah. Well, he says, and then he says later on when he frees him that he he, ex- he kind of implies that he's experienced something like this before, whether it was his mother or. girlfriend or something the
1: only bit of backstory we get about him in any of these movies is just some vague reference to how he's seen this situation before that the that this that this family is in
0: which i love i really love the best thing about this movie for me is is the mystery of it for sure i love how you know you really don't you don't get anything other than who he is in in the moment and he's consistent but he's surprising it's it's interesting
1: yeah i mean it's i feel like the uh the spaghetti westerns really you know all of the spaghetti western heroes were kind of that way where you just really don't know anything about them but there is a there is a precedent in in american westerns too i mean a lot of these heroes you really i mean you know sh- from shane to the you know the jimmy stewart and the uh and the anthony Mann 50s westerns like these are just these sort of bitter gunslingers who have a past and you know maybe you get some kind of insight in into their into what's happened to them but basically they're just these angry dudes who have some unfinished business and and uh and that's and that's about all you know Sergio Leone is uh you know exploiting that aspect of the American Western but he didn't really invent it I guess although you know there there is something about these movies that seems so completely original I don't know. I don't know if it's the uh, the Ennio Morricone score or 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 what, but that, I mean, I, the the soundtracks definitely set them apart from, from any other westerns.
0: Oh, the soundtracks are so amazing! I actually, you know, rewatched *Yo Yo* Jimbo, Uh, rather watched it for the first time. Uh, shame on me for <laughs> for this long. I re I watched it, and uh, right after I watched *Fistful of Dollars*. Uh, And it was really interesting to me. A couple of things I noticed, uh, not to talk about that for too long, but one of the things I noticed was the soundtrack in Yojimbo is just amazing. Mm -hmm. And then you realize where Morricone came up. I mean, Morricone is a genius. I I love a lot of his... He has such a crazy range of stuff from really experimental, super out there, like weird, Serge Gainsbourg-esque sex noise songs (laughs) to... In uh, Elio Petri movie, there's one where it's just someone conjugating the verb to have (laughs) (laughs) in like a really creepy voice. And then it gets super psychedelic and then it goes all the way to this sort of crazy Western stuff that he did for this. But it was obvious for at least for Fistful of Dollars to begin with that he took a lot from Yojimbo, which of course Sergio Leone did too and got sued over it. I think but he... I also noticed that it was kind of funny that Yojim and Clint Eastwood in, in A Fistful of Dollars, it takes him six minutes to kill four men. And in Yojimbo it takes him twenty minutes to to kill anyone. I timed it.
1: Really? It's it's only six minutes into the movie that that Clint kills somebody in Fistful of Dollars?
0: Yeah, that, that Clint kills anyone. I don't I didn't time if anyone else got killed, but
1: that's i thought the uh I thought the apologize to my mule scene was much much later than that he doesn't kill anybody before that does he
0: no that's I think that's the scene okay well I think it just goes <laughs> it's like really quick
1: you may be right
0: I wrote it down maybe I lied to myself
1: no i I trust you I trust you on that um the uh the violence is is seriously shocking in this movie i don't don't think any american westerns or any american movies for that matter at this point were were nearly as bloody as this movie and i think that's that's part of the why they became so popular just the yeah
0: the the violence and the timing of everything the editing in this feels super modern and also makes the violence more violent for sure
1: describe the editing a little bit because i i I know what you're talking about, but I'm not sure I could I could explain.
0: I think there's a you know there's a real lack of that. Well, actually, funny enough, in Hang 'em High, not to jump too ahead of ourselves here, but another movie that we watched, I thought that it felt very dated in, in its uh, sort of you know, music cues for vi- before and at violence, um, zooming in on things, holding the frame too long, uh, you know, turning away when the violence happened and giving you only the, the beginning or only the end of it. Mm-hmm. With this, you really... The camera sort of follows the bullet and it and it shows you everything happening as it's happening. And maybe you'll get a slightly different angle, but you're still seeing someone get shot. Yeah. And you you don't have too much you know, fancy camera work besides things being framed really well. So there's no, you know, zooming in. There's no real stings. It's just more about editing quickly with dialogue and editing with the flow of the violence as opposed to away from it.
1: In our last episode, you were talking about the, uh, the, the, the slow pace of 60s movies, but uh, there's there's nothing slow paced about A Fistful of Dollars. It's, uh, and, and the editing does have a lot to do with that it jumps from one action set piece to another and there's no i mean part of it is there's not really any story to 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 bog it down at all there's not you know there's no reason to cut to anything but the action because there's you know that's all there is in the story is just you know one one person kills a bunch of people and and then another person kills a bunch of people and it's you're not watching these movies for the plot let's say They really don't make any sense at all there's there's no there's no logic to them it's i mean like like the italian giallos it's all you know it's all sensation and and you know pure cinema but no you know no sense of you know things happening for any logical reason really and that's that's part of what's so enjoyable about these movies and why it's it's such a A welcome break from the the hollywood movies of the time which are very story oriented and you know takes its takes its time with the characters and 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 the dialogue
0: yeah i mean it really is to to sergio leone's quote he he is a a mask you know he's just a figure he's like the the little action figure that you move around the board I, i don't know how else to put it uh but it's enjoyable it's great and it's and I, I really, I think, you know, so for A Few Dollars More, the next one, I didn't like... I, so personally, my ranking of these movies for what it's worth is I think A Fistful of Dollars is the best. And I think that For A Few Dollars More is second best. And I think Good, Bad, and the Ugly is third.
1: Hmm. So
0: right in that order. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, I like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly the best. There's just so much in that movie that's you know, st- stuck in my subconscious and will will never... Will never leave. It's just um, the music and some of those set pieces and 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 Tuco. Um, so that that's my favorite. Uh, for Fistful of Dollars, probably next because that's the one where where Clint actually gets to do some stuff. It's it's the one movie of the three where he's actually the the protagonist really and is is kind of responsible for keeping the the action moving. And he and he's not so much in the other two. But you know. I, I I just I, I really just like the progression. It was fun to watch the, the three in, in order. It's, it's really hard to, to pick a favorite. Because, there, I mean, for A Few Dollars More, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff in that one, too.
0: My, my problem with A Few Dollars More was that they, they actually... I thought that they defined the roles a little bit too much. I didn't like them shifting Clint into the rookie role with Lee Van Cleef as the old man. Which was, like, also ridiculous because Lee Van Cleef's only five years older than Clint Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely doesn't look that much older. Okay, he doesn't have his hair, but he doesn't look that much older.
1: Yeah, but he plays Mortimer like a much older man. So it, it works. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that the movie is really the the, the hook-in for a few dollars more is the villain, El Indio. I think he's... He's the most interesting character, and he's he's such a such a cruel villain, and he's uh, you know the most memorable thing about that movie, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Oh yeah, he was great. He's just a cliche, crazy bad guy, but in the best possible way, I thought.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's 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 psychotic. He's he's clearly mentally disturbed, and he's you know, he's haunted by this this rape, suicide, murder thing that happened in his past that he was responsible for in his past and so he's you know and he's you know smoking I don't know he's using some kind of drug or, or something to, to you know to, to deal with this this disturbing incident that continues to haunt him and he's just but but at the same time he's you know just um, he's, he's killing people in the most sadistic way imaginable
0: and plus he has Klaus Kinski returning again for episode two here
1: Mm-hmm. as the hunchback. But yeah, I, I, um, and I think for a few dollars more is where Leone really starts to, you know, use some of the, that really stylized camera work. Like the, the one scene I, I find particularly memorable in that one is where they're, when they're scoping out the bank and they're, they're watching the, uh, the, the patrol walk around the, around the bank and counting out how long it takes them to get to to each corner. And it's got this close up of each of the, each of the bandits while they're counting. And then, it, um, and you see the, the, uh, the patrol in the background, and then it cuts to the next bandit when the, when the, the patrol goes around the corner. And that's, I mean, I, I feel like this, this movie is where Leone really learn, learn what to do with a camera, learn some of his, uh, his, his, his trademark techniques.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's a, there's some great, great scenes also with, um, them when they pull the safe out of the bank and things are crumbling, there's definitely scenes in that movie that you see he does again in good, the bad and the ugly, and he doesn't better in good, bad and the ugly.
1: Yeah. Clearly he just had so much more money for the good, the bad and the ugly. And I think that's why he was able to can kind of play around and really perfect some of these shots and, uh. You know, I, I hate to say that the, the the more money a movie costs the better it is, but I I think in in the case of these three movies it really was the you know, he he had the budget and the good, the bad and the ugly to really go really just sort of follow his dreams and, and get some really some really magical stuff on the screen.
0: Well, these were the times when budget actually I, I mean, all right, this is me being cynical, but I fine half the time now that budget you know when it when it ends up just in like cgi replicating a crowd scene i don't see money anymore no <laughs> for what it's worth like everything just seems a sort of you know there there's definitely like a difference in good quality cgi and bad quality cgi but these are the times when when you had an actual budget and you could shoot a crowd scene and you actually had a crowd uh you know for the good the bad and the ugly especially when when they go in fighting the civil war and you see these long shots of an entire hill of people running shooting mm-hmm. that's it's insane it's so impressive and then you think about how these are actual people and that you know someone <laughs> there's some extra somewhere that probably lost a finger in, in the oh, shooting yeah. of that movie
1: absolutely there's i i don't know how they did a lot of that stuff i mean they're just everything is exploding everywhere. And I'm sure that that they've covered up a lot of the details of uh, you know extras who have died um making some of these these spaghetti westerns where were the the uh where, you know these movies about how how cheap life is and I feel like uh they they probably treated treated the the extras with the same kind of respect
0: oh yeah no they didn't they didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess, you know, for A Few Dollars More, I, I like it. I love how creepy and crazy uh, John Maria Volante is. But it get, it starts to get sentimental, I think, in A Few Dollars More, where, you know, Clint becomes a, this younger rookie who, you know, sort of is is a little more talk than he is action. Whereas in the first one, he, he can back it up. He comes in and says, like, no, nah, I'm going to fix all this. And then he fixes it. And this one, he says, I'm going to, you know, shoot some people, and then he kind of stumbles half the time. And uh, Lee Van Cleef uh, ends up saving him a lot, which was okay, but it was kind of strange. I don't know. It felt like a backstep for Clint, you know, coming in so strongly in the first one. But right. then I think to move on to Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, that's, I mean, part of what I, I, there's so much I like about Good, Bad, and the Ugly, by the way. When I say that this is my least favorite, I don't, I'm, it's still like a four star out of five movie for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's a great movie. I love it. Uh, but it is, number one, I think it's too long. Even though I enjoy all of the segments, it's, it's long. It's a long movie. And it, and it can feel long. And then it also just gets too sentimental and it wastes a lot of time and it has a really bizarre sense of morality.
1: I I mean I think that's part of what Leone's you know, exploring with, with these movies, this this morality of the you know, the value of life and, and what, what what's good, what's bad and and I mean I, I'm I'm still trying to develop a thesis on, on what, what he's really trying to say. With these movies but i feel like bringing in the, the the civil war into this one is really is is it's you know he's saying life is cheap and um in, in all of these movies but in the in the good the bad and the ugly it's it's you know these people are dying for something they believe in rather than their um you know their own selfish needs they you know for money or for you know to to get ahead They're you know so uh you're supposed to judge this this morality of the of these three characters the good the bad and the ugly um, because they they are so selfish and here are these people who are who, who are dying for a cause. Um, what it? What I guess
0: that's that's a better interpretation than I because I kind of I kind of judged Leone, <laughs> but maybe it's because he did this so well. I mean, because there I just there's a scene especially in the in the bridge scene, which i will say that this time around I've, i mean i've seen these all a lot but i haven't watched them in a pretty long time like at least close to a decade i haven't seen i haven't watched these and this time around the bridge scene actually i liked way more i remember the first time i ever watched this i was so confused mm-hmm. <laughs> It was because you get this, the setup before that scene is like, okay, we're going to meet him in the graveyard. And you're like, yeah, the final showdown. And then there's about a half hour of the Civil War bridge scene, which in some ways feels like, well, they probably spent so much money making this that after they, they shot everything and we're in the editing room and we're like, oh shoot, like none of this (laughs) is really necessary, but all right, just put it in there. Like whatever. Like, it could be cut out, and I think that you would have just as good of a movie. But that yeah. said, I really like it anyhow. But the scene where they are, you know, they're they're watching the toll of this war, and the whole thing feels absolutely very much like, whoa, uh, the human toll of war. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then you get uh, Clint and um, Tuco just shooting like these guys are carrying a stretcher and they just beat the shit out of the guys carrying the stretcher and then steal it so they can bring the dynamite down to the bridge
1: (laughs) i mean i guess part of the irony there is they're blowing up this bridge which means that there there won't be this this constant battle for the bridge between the the north and the south there you know what the 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 current the drunken colonel has has a monologue about how how, how pointless this battle is and it's just just for some lousy bridge and right. and and with you know with with Tuco and and, uh, and and Blondie blowing it up they're sort of doing a you know they're sort of ending the the senseless killing in a way by by doing that and they're you know that's not their motivation but you you sort of you, you see it as a as a good act in a way as a you know sort of making this colonel's dying wish come true. And I, if that's what you mean by sentimental, I, I I don't know, I guess it's, it's okay with me because there's, there's so much irony to it.
0: Number one, I PS, I think Blondie is the best name for Clint Eastwood in any movie ever.
1: He's not even that blonde.
0: (laughs) But I love it. It's great. Uh, I guess by sentimental, I guess there's that whole bit with Tuco and his brother and his family. Like, I don't like, it's interesting. Yes. Uh, does it doesn't add dimension to this character. Yes. But also I feel like I'm not really here for that. Like I kind of don't care, but I, I also enjoyed it, I suppose. And I guess in, also the appeal of this movie, I think you're definitely right. in that the appeal of the movie is the contradictions uh, of their selfishness with their tough guy attitudes, with the good deeds that they end up doing along the way whether or not it's to sort of benefit themselves and the good deed is actually sort of a side product of them just trying to get rich
1: <laughs> although there is and, that moment where where blondie offers the dying soldier a a, a smoke which seems to be he's a, the good <laughs> yeah <laughs> a, a, a purely uh altruistic act i'm not sure there he had uh he had any selfish motivations there in mind other than uh you're wanting wanting to to wear his poncho so he can uh could could look like the man with no name again.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but also yeah.
0: so Eli Wallach, you know, famous uh Latino actor. <laughs> <laughs> is that is it racist? Is that like brownface? Like I guess Italy doesn't really care either way.
1: I mean, I love Eli Wallach in in the good, the bad and the ugly. I don't think it would be. It definitely wouldn't be my favorite without his performance.
0: Tell me more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't. know. I mean, the ugly is, is is the is sort of the, you know. He introduces Leone introduces this idea of this this character who, is you know not trying to be bad but not trying to be good either and is just out for himself and will sometimes end up, you know doing doing good deeds by accident and 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 uh, you know often doing bad deeds on purpose but he's you know i i I feel like he's he tuco is kind of the everyman here he's he sort of plays he plays the role of all of us in this movie and uh you know sort of navigating his his way through life and and uh you know doing doing what he has to do to survive and i don't i i and and just it's it's such a such a you know charismatic performance he's he's uh his 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 introduction is is iconic when he's uh you know when the when the when the bounty hunters come in you know come into the bar after him and he, he bursts out the window with a with a pistol in one hand and a and a, 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 a leg of like a lamb in the other and and uh and the you know the freeze frame and it's the ugly and it's... <laughs> i mean from that that's that's how the movie is introduced so you're you're right you're right there with him the whole way like i, I feel like like clinton and and lee van Cleef are are, are sidelined a lot in this movie that's and maybe true. that's why you don't like i kind
0: of wanted more of lee van Cleef.
1: yeah it's true I, I i really thought that he had a larger role in this he's got the real really menacing introductory scene where he uh you know kills that family and because he, he, he won't uh, renege on a deal, but then goes and kills the, the guy who uh, who hired him.
0: Right, because he doesn't, he, he says, I got my money, I'm going to do it either way. I kind of love Lee Van Cleef. He's always, he's menacing, like he doesn't have to do anything to be menacing. <laughs> yeah. He looks like if a hawk and a snake had a human child. <laughs> you know, like he's great. He's just, he has that face for it.
1: So we've got one more Italian movie that, uh, that Clint starred in, or at least is, is featured in. Maybe we should move on to that? Yeah. Uh, the Witches. It's, a, it's an anthology film with five different directors, five, five stories, five directors. Luchino Visconti, Moro, Bolognini, Pier Paolo Pasolini, Franco Rossi, and Vittorio De Sica. And Silvana Mangano is the, is the star of all of these stories. She's, uh, she's sort of what ties, ties them all together and, and, the, and just sort of exploring this idea of um, you know, the, the truth about women, I guess.
0: Yeah, I got to say, I, I actually like this for the most part. Uh, I was sort of impressed with it because for an anthology movie, it actually is pretty solid you know sometimes anthology movies can be really all over the place with maybe one good segment that's not even that great and with this one i thought that the good segments were really good and the bad ones were just like fine
1: (laughs) yeah i i was really impressed actually i don't think i i generally dislike anthology movies but this one i i can't think of one that i liked more than this one i thought it was pretty solid throughout i mean there, you know it's it's Basically three, you know, the Pasolini, the Visconti, and the De Sica are kind of the three main stories, and then you've got the kind of the, the 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 two filler stories in between.
0: And I, I mean, I
1: think I think they all work. They all do what they're supposed to do, really pretty well.
0: Except I have to say I have a huge side eye to the title of this, the witches. When there's not a single supernatural witch in this, maybe one. There's maybe Pasolini's is a little bit weird. But yeah. this did feel very much like, you know, like, uh, women, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's, um, I mean, does, in Italian, does, does, uh, does, does that word have any other connotations? Lestregia? L- Lestregia?
0: No, it's just witch. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, I mean, there is a holiday in Italian, in Italy, rather, that is a witch that gives children presents, like Santa Claus, so... Maybe hmm. witches aren't so horrible, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I
1: think that's enough to give him the benefit of the doubt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's very generous. So I think, uh, you know, just to, to quickly go through all the these movies before... I, I mean, we really should talk about Clint, but I just have to say I, I was really impressed with uh, specifically Visconti and Pasolini uh, with De Sica, which is the one that has Clint being my absolute favorite and, and I thought was the best one in all of these. But the... The other is, uh, you know, Visconti, I thought he can, I I like Visconti a lot, but he can get very, very slow and very rambling sometimes. And I'm not always on board, you know, it's always beautiful, but it's not always, doesn't always have substance. Whereas this one actually I thought was kind of really interesting because it's about this um, star who shows up at a guest house of a friend and she's having some sort of issues, health or otherwise. And there's a scene where she passes out on the couch and all the guests come around and they start pulling off pieces of her makeup and all this stuff to and start and judging her like they're just they're literally and, and, you know, emotionally ripping her apart, even though she's passed out. And that was kind of an interesting commentary. I thought about Celebrity.
1: Yeah, I thought that scene was incredible. That was that was my favorite bit in all of this. And the Visconti was was my favorite of, of all the stories. I mean, it is kind of it, it, it goes on a bit, but I I mean it, it had me the whole time. I mean, it, to compare it to some of the 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 stories in the the Vedo Nudo movie we watched last week, the uh, the the anthology film from Italian anthology film from 1969. Um, that I mean those those stories just went went on and on and, and seemed to have no point but this this Visconti I thought had a real had a had a great feel to it and it seemed you know, it, 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 it earned its slow pace. I thought yeah. it was pretty moving actually but uh, the... he, do, he does love his his aristocrats he loves he loves tragic tragic wealthy people. who doesn't? And, <laughs> I sometimes have a little trouble with that, but I, I think he I think he makes it work in, in this one
0: well this was yeah it was interesting because it 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 felt like it applied to beyond just that world which sometimes it doesn't and i agree sometimes that gets grating and and sort of boring but this felt like it could be it's sort of this every man pulling apart this celebrity which is you know and, and sort of the lack of the loss of privacy and the and this duality of of you know, being famous and being consumed and sort of, yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting meditation on a theme. Whereas the Pasolini one, which was definitely the most Italian thing I've ever seen, (laughs) (laughs) looks like a living cartoon. Everyone's wearing bright colored wigs. It's about a wife dies and the father and the son decide that they have to team up to find a new wife slash mom. Mm hmm
1: it's done in kind of a, a silent film comedy style I mean, there's dialogue although uh Silvana mangano plays a uh a, a deaf mute so she doesn't have any dialogue but uh yeah this
0: was weird it was just um, incredibly weird but at least it didn't take itself seriously
1: <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i don't know what the point was really other than to just be entertaining i guess so weird so so bizarre to you know that you're Sort of questioning what you're you're watching and but you know just uh, but laughing at Toto's uh, you know goofy antics the whole time.
0: Yeah, that's sort of you, you. She comes across as maybe an alien, besides the fact that she has green hair. But she also they they decide that they need more money, so they stage a suicide with her on top of the uh, the Coliseum. Coliseum yeah. But then she actually falls by mistake, and then everyone claps as she dies. (laughs) And then they go home, and then she's there at home waiting for them, and they think she's a ghost, and she doesn't confirm or deny it, but she says, well, I can do everything a human can do anyhow, so what's the difference? And then this title card comes up. I took a screenshot of it, or actually rather I took a photo on my phone of the screen, Because it made me laugh so much because it just said, it, it says in Italian, it just says moral. To be dead and to be alive, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's like that's the, oh, okay. that's, the, that's the moral
1: of the uh, of the Leone trilogy, too, right?
0: Oh, whoa. <laughs> See? I'm making it, an right, Italian a connection about that. There. But then the, the De Sica one, which actually has Clint Eastwood, I love this. And I loved, and and part of what I loved about this. And this is something about Clint Eastwood that drives me crazy. Anyhow, I love him when he is vulnerable, because he's he never that, that's, vulnerable. Especially that's what he's later so good on at. in the seventies and the eighties, he he becomes this. Uh, you know he, the like the fan fiction Mary Sue. You know the, the concept where he becomes the the one who gets shoved in is always. You know he walks into town. He can always save the town, and everyone's kissing his feet. He rapes a woman and so she falls in love. You know, he slaps a Native American and he realizes that Clint Eastwood is his savior. Like that's always, that's always his thing. And when he becomes a director later on, he just doubles down on that so hardcore, except for his first movie, which is Play Misty for me, where he actually is vulnerable and being stalked by a woman who's trying to kill him. And I love that movie. (laughs)
1: Um I I uh I wish I, I had a better handle on on his uh on his career. I I've, I've never been a huge Clint Eastwood fan to be honest. I mean growing up in the 80s, like none of, none of the stuff he was doing in the 80s was any fun for a kid. Firefox where he steals a plane and I don't know. I he was just not anybody who, who who appealed to me that much. I mean I was too too young to care about the dirty hairy type stuff and yeah, I I mean he's I, I I've I've grown to to appreciate what he's got. I guess he's you know he's he's an appealing figure as a as a sort of a, a cold as ice, get the job done kind of guy. But I do like when he's when the humanity sort of shows through a little bit, like when he when he fails, when he maybe that's why I liked for a few dollars more. It's because he does fail. You do sort of, sort of see his human side in that too, and I and I think it takes a little too far in the witches. Like he's too much of just a, a a typical husband kind of guy in this. What what did you think of Clint in the witches?
0: Well, I just loved it because it was so against type, you know. Because I agree, I don't like Dirty Harry is the dumbest movie. Like I have not an, an affection for it in the sense that. I just think it is so dumb. Like, I, the last scene of that movie where he takes his badge and he, like, throws it in the lake at, at, to represent the fact that he's given up on the city of San Francisco and how, like, it's really unfair that we have due process in this country. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, like, just the most ridiculous thing. And then the next movie, the Dirty Harry uh, what, Magnum Forest, I think is the second one, where basically a whole bunch of cops start to be vigilante and his response as dirty Harry is they can't do that. It's like, well, what did you do in the first movie, man? Like, he's just such a contradiction. But so yeah, like to see him then play in this where the plot of this uh, DeSica one was that basically that there's a lonely desperate housewife who uh, Clint comes home to and he just is too tired and bored to do anything. And she's, (laughs) fantasizing about him being when he was younger and more in love with her and wanted to have sex. He wanted to romance her, all of these things. And she's sort of stuck between this time, this uh, place where she doesn't want to be too forceful with him, I suppose, as a housewife in the sixties, but is also desperate for him to notice her more and care more. And so he basically spends this entire short film uh, falling falling asleep asleep. (laughs) Uh, whining about stuff and and sort of generally not doing much whereas she has these really like crazy and like ridiculous outfits and really bombastic fantasies about um, seducing him or slapping him or trying to kill him or making out with about like five different batmen as he watches (laughs) holding their children and, and cries about think of the children please how could you how could you leave us and I loved it. I just loved. I I was really impressed with the fact that this was actually sympathizing with a, a woman in the 60s over uh, issues like this, especially from Italy. You yeah, know,
1: I I had a different take on that. I mean, I love the fantasy sequences, but it felt like the the point of the the story was to to you know, it's it's, it's like women are nagging shrews but let's try to understand why and sort of it sort of digs into her you know her fantasy life a little bit to sort of justify this these sort of you know typical nagging wife attitude she has towards her husband I, I didn't quite buy it
0: see I just thought that he was too he was too much of a wet noodle to be too sympathetic she really came across as someone who was really interested in saving a marriage, whereas he seemed like he was too bored. And with the whole Italian obsession with uh, cuckolds and, you know, wives uh, cheating on, on men and how much shame that brings, I thought that this was, I think this was generally meant to be positive, whether or not it yeah. was 100% a stereotype. It totally was, <laughs> but I loved her outfits and I, I really liked yeah, the art direction. These sort of is, really, I guess I kind of like seeing, you know, in, in especially sixties cinema where typically we get the male fantasy, you get the, the men who are dreaming about how many women they're going to make out with. I liked seeing them portraying a woman having a similar interest because it's mm-hmm. not, you just don't see that often. And it's certainly true for most, I mean, I mean, I don't know how many people are actively sitting there dreaming about, uh, you know, making out with five people in the same night. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's not that it's it's not uh, unheard of for, for a woman, for sure. And so to, and then especially for a housewife, which I think typically, especially in these Italian movies, the second that someone gets married, they're shown as being a non-sexual and non-female entity in a lot of ways. You know, yeah, they the, they're always they, they gain weight, they have facial hair, they uh, are nagging shrews. So, to have that be this very attractive woman who, you know, like basically her flaw, quote, air quotes, is that she's wearing glasses and has her hair tied back, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it was interesting to see them portray her as still having a sexuality. So, I appreciated that.
1: Yeah. And those outfits.
0: They were so good. There's so many Does that spiky hat was amazing. Oh, yeah. I, I really
1: liked the uh when they're when she's strolling down the boulevard and all the all the all the husbands are are uh, are leaving their wives to to follow her down the street. And you've got the these, you know, these stylized storefronts uh, on the on the boulevard. And it's very 60s, very uh something very very appealing about about all of those fantasies. But I still oh, thought yeah. it was in, in, in service of justifying shrewish wife behavior.
0: Well, I guess the les- the lesson here is, you know, if, if you don't pay attention to your wife, she's going to leave you for 500 guys. <laughs> <laughs> so let that be a lesson to you. Okay. <laughs>
1: oh, lesson learned. <laughs> uh, hang him high.
0: Hang him high.
1: So, so he's, he's back in America after, uh, after making a few Italian films. This is his first American film. I mean, he'd only done... No, I guess he, he, he was a bit player in, in some movies in the 50s, but this is his first starring role in an American film.
0: Wow, you're and right. And it's kind of a,
1: a, a typical typical American Western in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I thought Hang 'em high High... Uh, so the plot of this one, right, is a guy buys a bunch of cattle and then he gets surrounded and ambushed by a bunch of town folk who say that he stole them uh he produces a bill of sale, says i did not steal them and they say actually the owner is dead and that's not his signature so yes you did so they throw a noose around clint's neck and they hang him high (laughs) and uh he doesn't die he gets cut down by somebody else and then thrown in jail they basically realize that he used to be a some sort of lawman somewhere right and they let him go they realize that he was actually duped by another guy who actually killed this farmer and then made a quick buck selling half of the cattle to him and so then he becomes the sheriff in this town and then goes out for revenge
1: so you 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 expect the uh the the clint eastwood of the of the leone movies to just you know, go go out and and shoot down each of these guys who who's responsible for for hanging him uh, unjustly, and getting his revenge that way. But that's the the stories uh, the stories about the the civilizing of the West, I, I guess. So he has to arrest these guys instead of instead of shoot them down, and that's the that's the twist, and that's how you Americanize uh, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> or, yeah, or Hollywood eyes, like, anyway. I um, should say.
0: I think what, Ted Post, the director. Let me just double check. Yeah,
1: that's that's his name. He did he did one of the Dirty Harrys, and yeah. I think he was mostly a he TV director. He did Magnum director. Force.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It felt this felt like Ted Post watched the Leone films and then tried to remake them in spirit, but he didn't think about the camera work. He didn't think about them technically because oh, there's, there's no so style at all. Cheesy music cues. <laughs> And zooms on expressions, uh, obvious sound stages, like corny out of the uh, really shoved in romance, and uh, like most of the characters are just flat throwaway nobodies. Yeah, and it's it's all very stilted. But well,
1: I mean, I I thought it was an engaging story. I mean, it's a solid Hollywood storytelling. There's not a whole lot more to it than that, though.
0: Well, I the one thing that w- I thought was weird, and also, uh, you know, as you said, very Leone-esque, was the sense of morality in this movie, because it's very anti-vigilante. Seeing at the, you know, that's the whole reason for, for Clint's revenge. But then they also, they also portray the policeman and the sheriff as being corrupt as well, because he's also just hanging people so that he can show they have a structure and that they can get statehood in Missouri or wherever the heck they are. S-
1: some, someplace west of the Mississippi.
0: So where does but that, like, where does that leave us? Is I'm well, trying I... to say that everything's corrupt?
1: I don't think the judge was supposed to be seen as corrupt. I think he was supposed to be seen as severe. He's the he's the law. He's trying to bring law to the West, and he has to be you know harsh about it to you know get the United States to notice that there that there is justice in the West, and that there's somebody who's arresting the the, the wrongdoers and and giving them trials and willing to have you know formal hangings to uh, you know just to. To demonstrate to the, the the public that that there's law in the West.
0: See, I don't see. It was tough for me because they they show certain criminals being, you know, like well. So there's uh basically Clint, and while he's trying to get justice, gets sidetracked by um, Bruce Dern, who is amazing in this. Actually, mm-hmm. I really liked Bruce Dern, even though he's sort of a tertiary character. But Bruce Dern kills a bunch of people and steals. Is also rustling cattle. And he has two young, younger boys with him who were like meant to be like 15 or, you know, like they're meant to be young, but old enough to mm-hmm. know what they're doing. And those guys all get hung. And Clint's trying to argue that, well, those guys were good. You shouldn't hang them. And then the sheriff gives him that long speech and they end up dying. And Clint is obviously annoyed. And he sits there and says, well, I'm going to hand in my badge. But then he doesn't. And it just kind of feels like the ending of this movie was just Clint selling out. <laughs> he wants vigilante justice, but he keeps stopping himself. I don't know. But also the reason he got hung was because of vigilante justice. So it was just muddled to me. I wasn't sure where I was meant to, meant to take away or unless, unless the point was just that morality is a gray area.
1: I think that's all there is. And I think that it's, it is talking about how, you know, the transition from, the vigilante justice of the old west you know these these gunslingers who 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 practice their own form of justice and, and transitioning to to the civilizing of the west and and it's you know it's a, it's a it's just a different kind of cruelty it's a different kind of violence it's a it's a you know it's a um it's a government sanctioned form of violence but really it's it's no different
0: i feel that. i don't know i will say that i, I really like the the violence in this movie actually they, they did do that well and as far as uh, Sergio Leone influence, I thought that, you know, the revenge plot was pretty solid. I enjoyed all of that stuff. It, it does get sidebarred and weird things. Again, I, the romance was ridiculous. Like, I, you know, I, it's annoying to watch these Westerns where there are no female characters, but it's also kind of equally annoying when all the female characters are prostitutes or just like the perfect virginal white dress woman, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's only two options. Uh, so, th- that sort of whole plot I thought was totally throwaway, especially because Clint Eastwood is so unlovable and so un, you know, approachable in this movie and only out for justice. And I don't know yeah, why but they even tried. He's tall and
1: mysterious and, and good looking. So, the good girl falls for the bad boy. No, I mean, you're right. It's just shoehorned in. But I saw what they were trying to go for. But, I, any, you know, all of these 60s movies, it, it seems like they feel obligated to throw in a, a female character, but they never know what to do with them.
0: Right. <laughs> Other than look pretty. Yeah. I did like the, I love the ending of this movie where it actually reminded me of the ending of 28 Days Later.
1: <laughs> Are you talking about the the Ed Begley uh, shootout scene?
0: Yeah, the last remaining vigilantes are held out in a sort of mansion-y house on an estate. And Clint Eastwood is stalking them one by one, trying to get into the house and leading them out to uh, come find him in the trees. And then he shoots them one by one. It was great, actually. A lot of good scenes in the dark. uh, A lot Mm -hmm. of that sort of creepy... It it actually was was pretty um, intense,
1: you know, I was just sort of waiting for the movie to conclude it at that point. didn't make a huge impression on me. it was but a pretty I, but long I do movie. love Ed Begley's teeth he's a he's a great bad guy
0: huge waste of Dennis Hopper in this movie.
1: was Dennis Hopper in this movie?
0: He was in the beginning. I didn't even it. he was the crazy guy, and then oh that's he gets right I totally forgot and they about shoot that. him yeah. and that's it
1: uh let's let's move on to Coogan's Bluff, which I hated.
0: yeah, I hated it too <laughs> <laughs> so Coogan's Bluff. I watched this ages ago and, you know, I've been keeping track of my reviews for like over a decade now. And I went back to look at my review for this cause I couldn't, this is another movie where it was just, I, I barely remembered anything on, on my own. And I went and looked back at my review and all I wrote was two sentences, which was good old fashioned sexist Eastwood action flick period at least it's fast-paced. <laughs> hmm. Watching it's not it fast-paced again, enough. <laughs> I actually remembered a lot more than I thought I did, but it is just as terrible as I remember. It. <laughs> well,
1: it's hard to forget the pigeon-toed orange peel club. Oh yeah, that was. Uh, I, I, it was. It was almost worth sitting through this whole movie for, for the, uh, for that old man's version of what, uh, what the, uh, what, what the ultimate New York decadent nightclub would be. It's this you know, psychedelic club called the Pigeon Toad Orange Peel, <laughs> where the band, the house band, just plays a song called Pigeon Toad Orange Peel the whole time. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and all the women are naked, and they they're painted with psychedelic uh, paisley prints, and everyone's high, and ready for violence.
1: <laughs> the it the the whole movie seemed really out of touch. Though I thought, so I mean, that's touch. the idea of what uh, young people are up to in the in, in nineteen sixty eight is a little uh, little hard to buy, and it just the, I mean, I thought the violence in this movie was really pretty goofy. I mean, it was it was kind of brutal in that uh, in in that one scene where he, where Clint gets beat up in the in the billiard hall, but it's still like these these gang members didn't seem like any anything like what an actual New York Gang (laughs) would have been like
0: yeah so I mean the plot of Coogan's Bluff is basically that a guy comes from Arizona uh, a sheriff from Arizona to pick up someone I guess who has done a crime in his state but is from New York was arrested in New York and they're trying to extradite him back to Arizona and yeah no you just go through New York City as this sort of weird carousel of violent hippies apparently (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah yeah i mean it's supposed to have some kind of fish out of water appeal like you've got this sort of clint clint eastwood as as his uh typical western hero only it's modern day and he's he's been transplanted into into modern new york city and and uh doesn't that sound fun to watch but it it ends up not being very fun at all
0: yeah because coogan sucks like he just straight up sucks he's a really unfun character and I kind of, the best thing that happens in this movie and maybe it's because as a, as a New Yorker, as a born and raised New Yorker, I really love everyone calling him like fancy Texas. That's <laughs> 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 like my favorite thing. Cause like, yeah, I would do that. That's exactly, I'd be like, yo, Tex. <laughs> uh, I love that he's like a thorn in everyone's side. He's totally incompetent. He keeps screwing everything up. The whole plot of this movie is because he couldn't wait for something to happen. So he takes matters into his own hands and he screws it up and he loses the criminal. And then he has to go through all this crazy shit to get the criminal back.
1: And the, yeah. And, and then the, 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 New York chief detective there is uh, who's, who's against him all the way. Some somehow uh, forgives him for, for being totally incompetent and ends up helping him in the end.
0: Right. Why?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know.
0: They should have locked him up. He threatens to lock him up and then he doesn't, which I thought was this, a sellout but also the thing that's really horrible about this movie is is the way that they how they treat women and how they treat uh oh, yeah. sex i mean like they treat rape as a commodity in this movie literally there's a and a
1: joke a, there's several rape jokes in there oh I, my I, god uh,
0: yeah they treat abuse in general as a joke women are you know used and discarded left and right and then clinton and then Coogan. Uh, you know, s- seduces this. There's this psychotic seventeen-year-old woman, who, granted, is very cute, and the actor's definitely not seventeen, but the character is, and she's this like disturbed girl, and Coogan seduces her and has sex with her after she tries to kill him twice.
1: Well, it was it was the James Bond era. Every movie had to have that. The hero had to, you know, sleep with every woman that shows up, and but there's you know there's always one. Woman in there that he's a little more serious about that he, he wants to make a good impression on, but that doesn't prevent him from sleeping with every other female that comes along. But the 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 meat cute with our with his I guess the you know the, the the lead the lead female that we're we're supposed to like we're supposed to want him to get with is is uh, Julie is pretty appalling Julie Susan Clark she wasn't particularly appealing, but at least she um, you know at least she wasn't an asshole
0: no she seemed really nice and i also couldn't understand i mean yeah the 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 meet cute where basically she's being sexually harassed so coogan kicks the guy's ass and then she gets angry at coogan because <laughs> apparently this was some also she she's a psychologist and these are are the kids that she works with so she has to make them feel comfortable so i guess that means involves making her uncomfortable it was really questionable. Know. Yeah, it's, it's
1: Seymour Cassell, and he, you know, he he grabs her boob, and and Clint doesn't like that, and, and 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 pushes him or punches him or something, and that's you know, and that's how that's how these two fall in love, meet, <laughs> fall in love, yeah, <laughs> become interested in each other, and there's so much, there's so many gay stereotypes and and homophobic jokes in it too. It's I don't know, I, I, it was sort of this period. 1968 where you could you could start to get away with you know all sorts of you know drug use and there's I think there's a there's a lesbian kiss in the movie and there's nudity but but there's no there's no real swearing at all so it's it's I I don't know I I, it's really I, I don't have much of a sense of of what what was okay in in 1968 but clearly homophobic jokes are okay
0: yeah, there, it was also pretty, you know, I thought the portrayal, like it opens with a Native American guy who's drunk and naked in the desert and Clint has to go clean him up and then ties him to a pole and then starts making out with a lady like <laughs> next door to him. <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's Don Siegel directed this. And I, Don Siegel's. I, I don't know, he's one of those, he can, he can do some fun things, but they're typically in this vein. Of you know, if it was if it was in a void, it would be kind of funny and maybe even fun. But knowing that it isn't, and knowing that people watch this sort of thing and then thought like, oh, that's cool, you know, it becomes less appealing to me.
1: I think it was a hit. I think it made a lot of money.
0: Oh yeah, no, this I mean, on Letterboxd here it says before Dirty Harry there was Coogan. Like, yep, yeah, no, this is in the same vein. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it does. It does feel like a like a goofy, dry run for Dirty Harry, which was you know, also Don Siegel directed that. Right. Um, and uh, it's yeah. I mean, it, I don't love Dirty Harry, but at least it, it's gritty. It feels like the the bad guys are really bad in Dirty Harry. You know, there there is something real about it, but there's nothing in Coogan's Bluff that that is convincing. Like I never feel any real threat or
0: yeah because it was his mistake like you just you just want to fast forward and be like why don't, why don't you show me coogan actually accomplishing something
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh so next on the list we've got where eagles dare
0: so i like this one but i don't think you did
1: no i i, I just found it boring
0: this but, is basically I mean, I a like... good old it's richard burton and clint eastwood and it's a good old shoot 'em up nazi movie basically
1: It is not much more than an excuse to machine gun down a a whole bunch of Nazis, (laughs) but it's uh, I mean, I'm not I'm no huge Richard Burton fan and it's not like, you know, any any of these characters are real characters anyway. So, I mean, it's not like Richard Burton had had much of a chance to, to show his stuff, show his acting chops. And, and Clint Eastwood certainly didn't have anything to sink his teeth into with this movie.
0: Apparently Clint Eastwood hated the script of this movie and actively asked for less lines. And so they were <laughs> given to Richard Burton. Uh, and I think everyone was sort of shoved into this movie. I don't know that anyone was so interested in making it. But what I liked about this movie was it unfolds step by step very serenely for a movie that's about blowing up a bunch of Nazis. <laughs> like everything is. is planned out, everything like unfolds perfectly. It's almost like origami. It's just no there's no missteps. It's just all you know, sort of beautifully epic, lofty with a really beautiful and interesting setting. This is like castle on the top of a mountain that no one can get to in the snow and uh, just everything goes right and it's
1: <laughs> well you know what this movie is it's it's a mission impossible movie yeah you know, they've got a plan and you're just watching them put the plan into action and you know it seems like something's going wrong but no that was part of the plan all along and you know maybe you know maybe towards the end in the final act you you think oh you know maybe. Maybe the maybe the heroes won't get away with it. Things things aren't quite going exactly as planned, and but then of course they do get away with it. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not I'm not much for the the Mission Impossible kind of kind of plotline or heist movies in general.
0: Oh really? Yeah. No, not really.
1: You know, I, it's
0: see it's heist nothing, movies. Nothing
1: way. too interesting to me about about somebody making a plan and then you know putting that plan into action and, and us. Just watching it unfold.
0: I will say that you could have thrown out the first hour of this movie. This is like a three-hour-long movie. You could have thrown out the first hour, and it would have been just as good, if not better. Yeah,
1: it's 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 brutally dull for the first at <laughs> you know, least half hour.
0: I kind of like um, that. There's two female characters in this who are competent. Mm-hmm. They both got the kiss and grab treatment with the uh, the you know Richard Burton, but. I, at least they, they have a job and they do the job and they do it well. And that was mm-hmm. kind of nice to see. Uh, but I agree that no there is zero character development across the board for literally everyone in this film. Had there been any character, any character development whatsoever, this could have been, I think easily more of a classic because it has the hallmarks of, of a sort of lofty epic. you know it, it looks great. I, I was really impressed with it pretty much all around there's a lot of great explosions the action is actually engaging and fun it's different they keep you know there's a everything from stealing planes to stealing buses to those um what's it called the the tramway Gondola, fights and, the, and uh hanging yeah, off wires all this sort of stuff it, you know it was it was enjoyable for for a war movie and, and as you said a sort of mission impossible style you know action flick
1: well, and they also stole the uh, the whole tram sequence, the, the cable car sky gondola thing from uh, Carol Reed's Night Train to Munich. So, uh, you know, skip where eagles dare it and go go straight to Night Train to Munich.
0: All right. I can get behind that.
1: <laughs> uh, do Do you have any more about that movie? Because I'm, you know, it's not a terrible movie, but I just, I, I, I don't, I, I feel like there's nothing very interesting about it at all. I guess Except for the, the the blonde with the machine gun at the end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was kind of interesting to see Clint phoning it in, you know. And I think Richard Burton kind of owns this movie. And even then, he has this sort of Sanpaku-eyed stare where he looks like he's seen it all and has no interest in seeing any more of it, but here he is.
1: <laughs> it's, it's definitely his movie, but even, you know.
0: Clint's very throwaway. He even says at the end of the movie, like, next time, don't even, like, well, I don't know why you even brought an American into this. Next time, don't leave me out of it. And you're like, yeah, probably.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's all we have to talk about except for Paint Your Wagon, which. Yeah, your uh, favorite movie. Which I loved. I'd seen it before and I, I, I liked it okay, but I didn't. My first time, it didn't make a huge impression. But this time through, I realized that it is, it is definitely an underrated movie.
0: Okay, let me tell you my story about Paint Your Wagon. Usually, I am very good about watching things. You know, we sort of assigned all these movies beforehand so that we could talk about them. And once I realized that Paint Your Wagon came out in the 60s, I was like, nope, foot down, not watching this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why... Was because during my Clint Eastwood phase, when I was seeking out Clint Eastwood movies, I rented this from a certain uh, Bart and Greg's DVD explosion, uh, DVD rental shop in Brunswick, Maine. And I watched it. I, I, you know, knew going in, number one, number one, I think about the Simpsons joke where they talk about they have a, a great paint your wagon spoof. About gonna paint that wagon, gonna paint it fine, gonna use oil-based paint, cause that wood is pine. And then they talk about how Lee Marvin is always drunk and belligerent. So knowing, going into this movie, knowing that Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin are going to be singing Broadway music songs, I already knew this is gonna be wild. I gotta watch this. What I didn't realize is that this was the longest three hours of my life. (laughs) It was just the worst musical... Besides there's Call the Wind Mariah is a really mm-hmm. nice song and they bring in like uh, someone else some random guy to sing it who has a decent voice cuz everyone else in this movie cannot sing for the life Harvey of Harvey
1: Presnell who's is, who's is, isn't an actual Broadway star right Yeah
0: and then the the plot is horrible uh, no. the The characters are terrible <laughs> everything's awful and I was watching this I, I forced my mother to watch this movie with me and we were sitting there just like you know starting off like ex, like sort of excited in a way of like ah oh, this is going to be dopey and then slowly just like we all just wanted to die and then the, there's a point in this movie where the screen fades to black and we breathe both of us at the same time breathe a sigh of relief and then the <laughs> The screen fades to blue, and then it says intermission, and I we both screamed. <laughs> we were both like, oh, my God, no, and then we had to watch like another hour and a half of this goddamn movie, and it only got worse, and there was like a whole musical about like, you know, we got to get that gold rush so we can build our whorehouse, like, oh, my God, like, I, it was just the worst. I just hated it. So I want to yeah. know why you liked it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, the it's a it's a Patty Chayefsky adaptation. So, you know, I was realizing that on my on my second time through. I was I didn't I was, realize that. Looking, That's
0: very interesting.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a smart script. It really is. It's it's about um how how love tamed the West really. It's um it it's sort of the whole the whole thing is is comparing you know, women to gold in this sort of you know these these uh, these gold rush guys who are, who who have gone out west for for a quick buck and and um, you know they're 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 in this town with with no women and they um, they realize that what they really want is a quick fuck so they you know they steal some some prostitutes and 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 build a whorehouse and uh, and that's you know the, that's the first step in in sort of building some buildings in this town and then you know the whole town kind of gets built around this whorehouse and and uh yeah and and that's and that's that's how the west is civilized and i just like the singing (laughs) (laughs) was it uh was it clint Eastwood's singing voice that that you didn't like or was it lee marvin's you didn't like his um his his version of uh wandering star
0: clint eastwood well clint eastwood gets to talk to the trees
1: yeah, he's got a really cheesy love scene with uh, a tree? <laughs>
0: with,
1: with, with a tree and, and, uh, and Gene Seberg.
0: Did you I mean, know that's... that Lee Marvin's version of Wandering Star from this... Oh, Wandering Star, by the way, is a good song, but Lee Marvin singing Wandering Star is not a good song. And it sounds exactly like you would think Lee Marvin singing Wandering Star through a pack of cigarettes would sound like. that.
1: I love him mumbling the song. And I think that's, I think that really works in this movie's favor to have these, these non-trained singers singing, sort of breaks the, you know, these, these musicals away from the, from being so studio bound and, you know, just these slick Broadway adaptations and and adds this touch of realism. I, I think some of that was just trying to capitalize on the whole sound of music thing where you've got people singing out in the beautiful wilderness. And, and there's, you know, I think Hollywood spent millions and millions of dollars trying to, Recapture the the magic of the sound of music and and you know create another hit like that. You know and I I think this was just one of one of those attempts to like add this this touch of you know actual locations and and a, a touch of realness to to the Hollywood musical to to keep the modern I guess. And I I felt like it really worked with Paint Your Wagon.
0: Well, you and all of Ireland and the UK because his version of Wandering Star beat out the Beatles for it was a number one single in 1970, and uh, with the number two slot being Let It Be. And well, Lee Marvin never I... had a follow-up song, so he is technically a one-hit wonder.
1: <laughs> it's it's actually pretty hard to believe that they even released that as a single.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not... It's extremely hard to believe.
1: I would, it's not... <laughs> I mean, it's not... I wouldn't want to listen to it over and over, but I think it works really well in the context of the movie.
0: I don't need, like, everyone to sound like... The perfect Broadway singer, but that that was too rough for me. I I couldn't. I don't know. I couldn't get behind it. The polygamy is interesting.
1: Gene Seberg, who comes in and and is uh, a Mormon's wife, the second wife of a Mormon, who who sells her off to this this town that that has no women, and um and she uh, she sort of becomes the wife of both. Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin.
0: It is refreshing to have a, a woman who calls the shots and has these two men, one who is just way too old and, and ugly, quite frankly, in comparison to her. And then you have Clint Eastwood, who's at least, you know, more in the realm of who someone Gene Seberg might actually date in life. But I like that she calls the shots of of saying, "Well, you know, if you're both in love with me, then how about we make this work and we'll all just live together and we're all gonna handle it."
1: Well, she's, I mean, she says that she's in love with the both of them. It is kind of it's a little hard to, to understand why she's she likes Lee Marvin so much, but uh, you know, he's a sweet guy. He means well, <laughs> and he's. I mean, the the friendship between Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood is really sweet. So she's fine uh, with um you know following her passion and and having two men at once. I mean I think that they they alternate nights so it's not uh not too uh you know summer of lovey but uh you know it's only when she she uh you know st- starts to look for some some respectability that she uh that she realizes that that having two husbands is a little is a little unseemly and that's sort of where the movie turns where it's you're you're sort of torn now between the the, uh, the 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 civilizing instincts of of Gene Seberg and and Clint Eastwood, the who who you assume are gonna you know become farmers, which is what Clint set out for the West to do anyway, and the the sort of free free spirited uh, free Lee Marvin who's just chasing the buck and. Um, I know you 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 do you you end up being sort of uh, disappointed when when she has to when she chooses to break up the family because for a long time the this this menage a trois was working out just fine for the three of them.
0: Why why do they break up?
1: Um, There's a um, there's a good good Christian family who gets in some kind of accident and ends up uh, ends up having to live with them. For a little while, and and uh, and Jean Seberg is is embarrassed that uh, that she's got two husbands, so pretends like just Clint is her husband to make a good impression. And she realizes that uh, that it's that it, it, it is important to her that she uh, you know she hates the immorality of uh, of the no name town that they live in, and uh, and and wants to wants to sort of pursue this life of respectability and and uh, the possibility of, of having a long-term source of income uh as opposed to just you know chasing the gold dust
0: maybe that's part of what i hated too (laughs) (laughs) that she sells out yeah
1: i mean i think that you're you're supposed to feel that way though i think the audience leaves leaves town with lee marvin i I think you 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 end up being with him and, and his choice to to move on i think it's a i think it's a pretty uh Pretty well, smartly put together movie that uh, that obviously made some uh, some wrong choices in, in in terms of how it was going to get mass acceptance. Um, and the whole I don't know if you remember the whole uh, climactic sequence where the where the town um, falls into a ditch because they've tunneled under the each of the buildings in town to collect the the gold dust that's fallen through the cracks in the in the floor. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just it's 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 one of these like big hollywood you know super expensive climaxes that's it's it's just kind of over the top and, and it feels like a huge waste of money
0: um, so what so all right yeah i i can i can appreciate everything that you're saying but what did you take from this like like you almost have me interested in re-watching this because i haven't watched this for definitely like 10 years and I that was gonna be it. Like I, I had you know this is dead dead and buried.
1: I I'm, first and foremost, it's really funny. I I laughed a lot watching this movie. Lee Marvin, it gives a totally committed performance, and he's he's really funny. I mean, Clint Eastwood is kind of doing his. Is, it's a really atypical role for him because he's he's the softy. He's the you know, he's the farmer who's. Um, you know, doesn't he doesn't drink and he he doesn't smoke but he sort of gets gets turned on to the the uh you know, he, he gets corrupted a bit by the end of the movie and and uh you know he's a he's a sweet guy but the the movie's really about lee marvin and and what a what a crazy drunk he is and and he he's he's just he's really entertaining. I mean, I think it would be a great double feature with uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I think they're telling very similar stories. Ah. Do you are you a, are you a fan of that? I
0: haven't seen it, but I know oh. of it.
1: <laughs> How about Popeye? Have you seen Popeye? Because it also reminds me of Popeye quite a bit.
0: No, that's another. I I I've seen clips. Well, but I like so Harry Nielsen did all the music in Popeye, and so that's already good.
1: Yeah, the songs are great. Well, um, it, it, when you finally get around to, to watching all the Robert Altman movies and get to McCabe and Mrs. Miller and Popeye, if you end up enjoying both of those, at that point, go back to Paint Your Wagon because uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, I, I think Altman took, uh, took things from Paint Your Wagon for both of those movies. I think he was a fan. And I am too. <laughs> um, so what
0: did we learn about Clint Eastwood? This was everything he did in the sixties. I was—I mean, it's an impressive array of things, from musicals to westerns. I mean, obviously heavily heavy on the western aspects, but
1: yeah, he—I mean, he continued to do a lot of westerns after this, but he wasn't just exclusively a western star. I think I think in the sixties that they're really banking on the fact that he he needs to wear a cowboy hat in everything he does, but he he got away from that a bit.
0: Yeah, I think I. I Did mean, I like really do think that he. And, you get a lot of of the the person that, that that Clint Eastwood became. You can see him glomming on to this persona that he very obviously didn't come up with, and he didn't ever have. And I think maybe that's part of what even annoys me about Clint Eastwood now. Like when he puts on this. I mean, like Grand Torino. I think is just the, one of the stinkiest piles of stink <laughs> that has ever been made, and it's. All comes from, you know, this sort of his. It, it starts with this Leone hat on, hat off, guns a blazing type of person. And it just sort of corrupts and, and bloats and morphs as he goes on throughout his career. And you get these occasional like flickers of something interesting and something different. But then he pretty much just sells in on this curmudgeonly. You know, this is the way it's always been kind of guy, even though the Leone movies really aren't anything like that. You know, I think that like Coogan's bluff is like that.
1: He's always an American. Like he's always there's something so American about Clint Eastwood. And I think he's he always plays up that aspect. And it's. You know, whether it's the libertarian, uh, you know, independent spirit of of being American that he seems to play out most of the time.
0: I mean, because I just, Clint Eastwood's such a pretty boy who, you know, I think he he really, I I don't know, there's certain actors, you know, it's this this sort of, you you get people that that are convincing and, and then people that are choosing roles because they're trying to grow, But Clint's not one of those guys. He sort of grows in spite of himself occasionally. Like, you know, like in a movie, like, like, Paint Your Wagon's actually pretty interesting for him to have chosen. He he does get to, you know, play his same type of guy, but it's in this musical, which is a weird thing for him to choose. Like, if he's looking for range.
1: I think it's the last time he really goes that, that far away from type though. Like, I think, I think after Paint Your Wagon, he may have realized that he's sort of good at his, at his thing. And he was, he's he's going to stick to it. I mean, still, he, he generally has kind of a sense of humor. Like he's not, he's not always humorless Harry Callahan. And as I was saying before, when that, that little bit of humanity peeks through uh, his, his cold exterior, that's when I like him most. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of his, his, um, that's what makes him an appealing star. He's not my spirit animal. I'll say that for sure.
0: <laughs> he sort of isn't mine but either, I to... but I, I was trying it. you know, so it was a good hat to wear for a while. But do you, so is is Clint Eastwood, now that we've watched all of these in his star making period, do we think Clint Eastwood's a star?
1: Um, He's magnetic. I think, I mean, I think he, he really shows everything he's got in Fistful of Dollars. I mean, he's, that's. Yeah. And everything after that is just sort of a, a, a variation on the theme. Everything, you know, he successfully he he did after that is just is sort of a variation on his Fistful of Dollars character. And uh, when he strays too far away from that character, like in Paint Your Wagon or the the husband in, in The Witches, he's uh, he looks a little uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, he looks out of place. Maybe, I think maybe Clint Eastwood really is just all looks. Because he looks like he belongs in Westerns. When he's not in westerns he he does look strange
1: <laughs> but I, I sort of like that 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 gawky
0: yeah he's like a nerd right he's kind of a way. nerd outside of like with no hat on yeah like he has he has all the squinty wrinkled eyes <laughs> he has <laughs> a rough and tumble exterior you know he has this, this sort of uh, mane of hair but he's he's kind of a kind of a nerdy dude. He's kind of always the rawhide guy. Well, I guess you know, watching all these movies, the obvious standout for sure is the Sergio Leone ones. They they still feel modern. They feel like if they came out tomorrow, I would I would be just as impressed.
1: Yeah. Should we give a teaser for for the next episode?
0: Sure. Is that Anna Karina?
1: Yeah, we're doing uh, Anna Karina's uh, Jean Luc Godard movies.
0: So, and so we, you know, we, we have Clint, we did Clint Eastwood. He's done. He's buried. He's over. We've done him. So now we're going to shift gears and we're going to go for someone else who's equally as iconic, but in French cinema, Bart's choice, Anna Karina.
1: And very, very much of the 60s. I feel like Clint was just getting his start in his 60s and sort of created his persona there, but then had, had a whole whole career after the 60s but Anna Karina really is you know she's remembered mainly for her 60s movies yeah. so I think we'll, we'll we'll have a lot to talk about 60s movies specifically with her and French cinema
0: all right stay tuned
1: on the next cinema 60 with Jenna and Barn.
0: been listening to cinema 60 with Bartolaro and jenna ipkar our theme song is you la conoscevo bene by piero Piccioni. our closing theme is go go gorilla by the ideals check out our website for new episodes and supplemental material at cinema-60.com that is cinema-60.com follow us on twitter at cinema 60 podcast thanks for tuning in